Welcome to Practical Christian Living. And Jesus said, I haven't come to do away with the law. I came to complete it. And he closed the last page of the book so that you and I are no longer under the law because Jesus finished it. I don't have to give sacrifices because Jesus gave the sacrifice. I don't need a Levitical priest because Jesus became my high priest. I don't need to keep the Sabbath law because Jesus, and follow this, has become my Sabbath. To the religious leaders of Jesus' day, the law was everything. To them, it was how they became righteous. But they couldn't keep the law. No one could until Jesus. Jesus came to complete the law, meaning you and I, thankfully, don't have to live perfect lives. We just need to stay close to Jesus and accept his tremendous sacrifice given upon the cross. We continue now with Hebrews chapter 7. Here's Robert Furrow, pastor of Calvary, Tucson. Father, we thank you. Again, we're, we're really blessed. We love you. We love that we have been saved and our sins have been forgiven. We love that we have a better high priest. We pray that your spirit would be our teacher today. Help us to have a good understanding of this text as we leave. Really understand our position now as opposed to what the position would be if we were still under the law. We thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. The title of our message today is A Better Priesthood. I, um, one of the first things that I do when I prepare a study is to take the text that I'm studying on and I read it several times. And while I'm reading it several times, I'm looking for a dominant theme in the passage. I'm trying to figure out what is the text overall saying. And I write out a sentence, it's got to have a period on it, that is the dominant theme sentence. It's the very first thing I do. I read it, read it, read it, read it. And then I write out a dominant theme sentence and put a period on it. The next thing that I do is look for generic titles. I just want to have a title that's going to kind of give a good sense, just generically. What is, what is this text talking about? What's it saying? Then me and my daughter get together on Friday afternoon. We have lunch on Friday. And we sit down and go over the text and we look to try to make it more creative. Because I'm a less creative person when it comes. She's far more creative than me. So if I ever have creative titles, you know, Jessica came up with that. If I have a really generic title, it's me. Well, when we, we talked about this this week, and I said, I want to keep this title. I want to keep a better priesthood. It's a real nuts and bolts kind of a, a title, but this is a real nuts and bolts kind of a text. It's not a, a highly applicable text. Later on in the book of Hebrews, we get to some of the best application in the Bible. When we get to chapter 11 in the book of Hebrews, it is full of application. In fact, I don't, know how, I don't know how many weeks it's going to take us, maybe months, to make it through just chapter 11 in the book of Hebrews. There's so much there. It's powerful. This is powerful too, but in a different way. It's powerful in the nuts and bolts kind of a way. This is shoe leather theology. This is getting down to the nitty gritty of the word of God. It's where the rubber meets the road. And we have to understand this. If you don't understand chapter 7 in the book of Hebrews, you are not going to understand the book at all. It is the key. It is the theme chapter. You got to understand it. So it's all about a better high priest. As opposed to the Levitical priesthood, which were, were men, where they had to make a sacrifice for themselves before they gave a sacrifice for the people. They had to make a sacrifice every day. Every day, the high priest got up, 
He went and he chose some, some poor bull or goat or lamb and he brought it back and he sacrificed it for his own sins. And then he would go and get another poor animal, bring that back, and he would sacrifice it for the sins of the people. He had to sacrifice for himself first because he was weak, because he had sin in his life, because he had sinned the day before. Everybody sins. Everybody sins daily. If you ever run into a Christian who says, not me, I've achieved perfection. No, shut up. <laughs> you have not. You're just lying now and sinning even as you speak to me. So he had to make a sacrifice for himself and then make a sacrifice for all the people. And that was limited. That covered the sins of the people. It gave them access to this gulf that exists between us and God. It bridged it, but it bridged it incompletely. There wasn't complete access given. There was access, but it wasn't a complete access. Well, Jesus is a different kind of a high priest than that high priest. Jesus is a better high priest because he didn't have any sins he has to deal with. And he doesn't have to give that sacrifice daily. He gave his sacrifice once and for all. And when he gave his sacrifice, the veil in the temple was torn in two and we were given a complete access. Where those guys were given incomplete access, we were given a complete access and we go boldly before the throne of God. We go right up to God and we can now know him. We can now draw near. Where they couldn't draw near, they were still at a distance from God. We now no longer have all of that separation. We draw near to God. Now, these early Jewish Christians, remember the book of Hebrews, was written within the first 30 years of the church. 30 years after the church began, the book of Hebrews is written. And Hebrews is written to these Jewish Christians who were leaving Jesus as their high priest and going back to the Levitical priesthood. There were these, these Judaizers who were telling them, this is a better priesthood. What are you guys doing? You're over here trying to go to God through Jesus, and that's good, but you've got to have a priest. They didn't understand that Jesus completed the law. Jesus said, I didn't come to do away with the law. I came to complete it. I came to fulfill it. I came to finish it. Now, when people read that, sometimes they think, well, that means we're still under the law. There are people who will argue that. Seventh-day Adventists and Sabbatarians, other groups that are Sabbatarians, you got to go to church on Saturday in order to really be saved. They'll tell you that Jesus said, I didn't come to do away with the law. When the law it was the book, the law was opened by Moses. And then throughout the entire time of the law, pages were being turned until it came to Jesus. And Jesus said, I haven't come to do away with the law. I came to complete it. And he closed the last page of the book so that you and I are no longer under the law because Jesus finished it. I don't have to give sacrifices because Jesus gave the sacrifice. I don't need a Levitical priest because Jesus became my high priest. I don't need to keep the Sabbath law, not traveling a certain amount on, on Saturdays or all the other little laws that were in the Sabbath law in the law. I don't need to keep those because Jesus, and follow this, has become my Sabbath. He's my rest. See, when we, we say, well, the Sabbath is on Saturday and I get my rest from a lazy Saturday afternoon. Now, nothing against a lazy Saturday afternoon. I like them myself, okay? But Jesus is a far better rest than a lazy Saturday afternoon or a lazy all-day Saturday, if you take the whole day. Jesus is a far better rest because it's rest for my soul. It's rest for my spirit. It's rest when I live with him and walk with him and know him. I find life as God intended it, and I find a refreshment, a richness in life that is only a dullness and being taxed and worn out apart from Jesus. So Jesus becomes everything. He completed and he finished the law. These guys were wanting to go back to the law. So the argument here is why in the world would you go to an earthly, imperfect, 
priest when you have a perfect heavenly priest in Jesus. That's the argument, a better priesthood. Let's pick it up in verse 4 of Hebrews chapter 6, where it says, Now consider how great this man was, to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils. This man is Melchizedek. Remember, Abraham ran into Melchizedek in the Valley of the Kings, and he gave tithes to him, and Melchizedek blessed Abraham. And so he says, consider how great Melchizedek was that even Abraham gave tithes to him. Jewish prophets. You have Elijah, Elisha, Joel, Hosea, Ezekiel, Jeremiah. We can go on and on, given these Old Testament Jewish prophets. Out of all of them, the two on top, Moses and Abraham. Out of those two, Abraham is considered to be the highest. Because you go all the way back to Father Abraham. You go all the way back to the God of Abraham, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And even Abraham, who is considered to be the greatest in Judaism, even Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek. The point is well taken. Melchizedek is greater than Abraham. Jesus is greater than Abraham. Jesus said in John chapter 8, Abraham longed to see my day, and he rejoiced to see it. They flipped out. When did Abraham see the days of Jesus. They said, you're not even 50 years old yet. How did Abraham see your day? I believe it was here when Abraham went before Melchizedek that he saw the day of Jesus, either standing before Jesus himself as a Christophany or standing before Melchizedek as a type of Jesus. Abraham rejoiced to see that day. And so Melchizedek, whose name means what? King of righteousness. See, because Melchizedek is one of those really mysterious people in the Bible, cults have grabbed on to Melchizedek. So they do their Melchizedekian priesthood. Is Melchizedekian a word, by the way? I'm not sure if it is. But they do their Melchizedek priesthood. And it sounds weird because we don't use the term Melchizedek. But the, the term Melchizedek is simply king of righteousness. So we have a king of righteousness priesthood and we have a Levitical priesthood. Now, uh, if you're a note taker, we're going to look at three things in this text. We're going to look, first of all, at what I call the priest precedent. That's in verses 5 through 10. The priest precedent simply means as in the precedent of law. When a judge makes a decision, a judge wants to be careful not to set new precedent. Because if all these judges are out there setting new precedent, the law changes completely because you build what comes on precedent in law. And so if there's a case in which something was determined one way, it becomes a precedent for the future. So which one is the precedent? Is it the Levitical law that's a precedent for the Melchizedek priesthood? Or is it the Melchizedek priesthood who is a precedent for the Levitical priesthood? We'll talk about that. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. Then we're going to look at the imperfect law. We're going to see that the Levitical priests were imperfect and the law itself was imperfect. Not bad, but imperfect. Something can be good and be weak. A person can be good and be weak. The law was good, but it was weak. And then finally, we're going to look at the superior high priest, the ways in which the priest is superior, and that'll be verses 22 through 28. So we pick it up in verse 5, the priest precedent. It says, and indeed, those who are of the sons of Levi, that's the descendants of Levi. Jacob had 12 sons, Gad, Naphtali, Asher, Judah, Simeon. We could go on through all 12 of the sons. One of those sons was Levi. When they divided the land... They divided it into 12 areas and they gave one area to each son, except Levi. There wasn't a territory of Levi. There's a territory of Dan, a territory of Naphtali. 
There was another one that Levi didn't get a territory. You know who else didn't get one? Joseph, because Joseph got a double helping. He had two territories. Joseph's sons were Ephraim and Manasseh. And so there was a territory of Ephraim and a territory of, of Manasseh because Joseph got a double portion. If you understand the story in Genesis of Joseph, you'll understand why he got a double portion. But Levites didn't get a portion. They were dispersed throughout all of the people. And the people, even though they were their brothers, they were equal. Simeon gave tithes to Levi. And Gad gave tithes to Levi. And Judah gave tithes to Levi. Okay? So that's what he's saying here. And indeed, those who are of the sons of Levi, who received the priesthood, have a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law. That is from their brethren, though they have come from the loins of Abraham. All of them came out of the loins of Abraham, but all of them came to give tithes to the Levites. So God elevated the Levites as spiritual leaders above the rest of the brethren. All right. Then he says in verse six, but he whose genealogy is not derived from them, that is Melchizedek, who doesn't belong to the tribe of Levites, received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promise. So Melchizedek is not a Levite. And he received tithes from Abraham. Now, beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the greater, by the better. And so it's saying, notice the word better here, though, by the way, we're going to see that over and over again, better, better, better. So it's saying that Melchizedek is better than Levi. It says, here mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them, of whom it is witness that he lives. Even Levi, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak. For he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. So it's saying that Levite paid tithes to Melchizedek. By paying tithes, he was in the loins. Genetically, he was inside of Abraham. We could say that Levi was in Abraham's genes. Levi, genes, Abraham's... <laughs> Flew around for a while before it landed, and then people were like, that's so stupid. That is so stupid. All right, so in the loins, in the genetic aspect of Abraham, there's all the tribes. And Abraham bows down and gives his tithe to Melchizedek, saying that Melchizedek is greater. And Levi, in that way, so to speak, gives tithes to Melchizedek. So Melchizedek existed before Levi. Melchizedek received tithes from Levi. Melchizedek and the priesthood, remember, because Melchizedek is a priest of the high God forever. So the precedent for the priesthood is not Levi. The precedent for the priesthood is Melchizedek. Levi was a temporary introduction into the priesthood and then a return to Melchizedek, a return to the, the king of righteousness priesthood. Okay? So it is a better priesthood and it is the one that has the precedent. It goes on then to tell us the weakness of the law in verse 11. It says, Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would we have of another priest? That another priest should rise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be according to the order of Aaron. He says, If perfection came by the Levitical priests, what need would we have of another priesthood? He's pointing out that the Levitical priesthood is imperfect. And he's going to point out in a moment that the entire law was imperfect. It wasn't that the law was bad. It was that it was imperfect. It was weak. It couldn't help you. Now, it, it helped in a way, but it couldn't help completely. For example, I got up this morning. 
You know, there are there's some mornings you get up and you're just more wore out than other mornings. Who knows why? And I woke up this morning and one of the first things I do when I get up in the morning is I put my hands on my counter in my bathroom and I look at myself in the mirror. The older I get, the scarier it is. And I woke up this morning, my eyes are all puffy and one of them is closed more than the other one. And I'm squinting against the light as I'm looking in the mirror and I realize, wow, I need a lot of work, okay, as I get ready to go to church. Now, you guys probably do the same thing, don't you? You get up, you got to put contacts in, whatever. You get up, you look in the mirror and you go, well, the mirror is good. Even though the mirror reveals, you're scary. It's good, okay? Because the mirror reveals to you, you need help. But the mirror is weak. It can do nothing to help you. You don't take the mirror off and comb your hair. You don't take the mirror off and try to clean yourself with it. If you did, you wouldn't look anywhere as good as you look right now, okay? You guys instead, you went into the shower, you brushed your teeth, at least I hope you did, and you got all ready and then you stood back and you went, what is left of me here is now going, okay? There used to be more of you when you were younger, but what's left, there it is, now it's gonna go, all right? So the mirror is like the law. The law showed you. I, I would not have known not to lie had the law not said don't bear false witness. I would not have known not to steal had the law said, don't steal. So the law shows me that I fall short of the glory of God, but the law can't help me with my sin. All the law could do was cover my sin. I needed to come to Jesus to have my sin completely taken away. So the Levitical priesthood was imperfect, but the priesthood of Melchizedek is perfect. So it goes on to say then in verse 12, for the priesthood being changed of necessity, there is also a change of the law. Now, if you're a highlighter, an underliner, a note taker, then you'll want to underline that verse, verse 12, because it tells us something very important, something that I think every Christian needs to know in his relationship to the Old Testament law. The law has been changed. The priesthood has been changed. Before Jesus, they were under the law, but you and I, are no longer under the law. Praise God. I can have a pork chop. I can enjoy shrimp. All these things were prohibited by the law. And I don't have to relate to God based upon the law because the law kept people at a distance from God. But now I relate to God under grace. And we walk, as the song we sing, we walk in fields of grace. And now, rather than trying to keep all the laws, there's 600 and so many laws in the Old Testament, rather than, I got to memorize all of them, I got to know what every law is, and I got to keep that law, now I just got to walk in love. And if I love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and I love you like I do myself, then I fulfill all of the law and the prophets. That's all you need to know. You say, well, what do I need to know to please God? You need to love the people around you, you need to love God. How hard is that? Not very hard at all. What is the right thing for me to do in this situation? Well, let me see. What would love tell you to do? If you love that person, how would you treat them? If you loved God, how would you treat that individual? And you'll know the right thing to do because by loving God, you fulfill the law. But the law has been changed. And those people that tell you you're still under the law, the Sabbatarians, the Seventh-day Adventists, who say, no, we only were freed by part of the law. The law has been completely changed. A few years ago, there were a group of people who were Sabbatarians. It wasn't the Seventh-day Adventists. It was another group. And... Uh, they taught that you got to go to church on Saturday in order to really be saved because you got to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Never mind the fact that it never says in the Old Testament that you kept the Sabbath law by going to the synagogue or going to the temple. In fact, it restricted you. If you lived more than a quarter mile away, you couldn't go. So when a Sabbatarian would say to me, well, listen, you're not saved because you're not keeping the Sabbath, I would go, neither are you. How far away from your church do you live? You better live within a quarter mile of it or you're breaking the Sabbath. 
See, they rewrite the Sabbath law and then claim that you're not keeping it by rewriting it. But this guy came up to me after the service and he was a Sabbatarian from this group. And um, he wanted to trap me. So he said, do you keep the Ten Commandments? Now, there's an obvious answer to that. And it's obvious in two ways. No, because no one really does, okay? Jesus said, if you hate a brother, your brother, you've murdered him. Which means on the roads of Tucson, I see people murdered every day. <laughs> people don't let people in. They start honking their horns. They give creative hand signals to one another. It's just, a, you know, an amazing thing. But he said, do you keep the Ten Commandments? Do you believe we should keep the Ten Commandments? Now, I was like a hostile witness. When you're in a courtroom and there's a hostile witness, he doesn't want to give the lawyer or the prosecutor or the defense attorney what he wants. So he's hostile and he gives you know, answers that are sarcastic or whatever. So when he said to me, do you believe we should keep the law, the Ten Commandments? I said, no. He could have fallen over. He didn't never expected me to say no. And I said, because I have been free from the law. The law has changed. Now, in reality, yes, there's a moral code that we want to keep. Okay, that's the reality. Yes, I was lying to him. But there's a moral code in which we want to keep, all right? But not in the sense that he's talking about. Because I don't give sacrifices because Jesus gave the ultimate sacrifice. I don't need a Levitical priest because Jesus became my priest. I don't need to keep the Sabbath day because my Sabbath is in Jesus. He is my Sabbath, Hebrews chapter 4. All of the law is fulfilled in Jesus so that I have a relationship with him. I don't have to go back to those 10 commandments. I find everything in Jesus, okay? So the law has been changed and the priesthood has been changed. That's what that verse says. Now it goes on to say here in verse 13 then, for he of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe from which no man has officiated at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning the priesthood. Jesus is from the tribe of Judah, not from the tribe of Levi, so how can he be a priest? And yet, it is far more evident, verse 15, if in the likeness of Melchizedek, there arises another priest. So he's not in the likeness of Levi, but he's in the likeness of Melchizedek, whom has come not according to the law of the fleshly commandment, now, note that he calls the law the fleshly commandment. It's because it's not the spirit that's helping you keep the law. It's will. I, I'm not going to break that commandment. It's a fleshly commandment. We now live by the spirit, being led by the spirit. They lived under the fleshly commandment. But according to the power of an endless life. It is the power of Jesus living forever that we have a priest now forever. For he testifies, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And that is a quote from Psalms 110, verse 4. God giving the psalmist these words to say as a prophecy to Jesus being our priest. Verse 18, for on the one hand, there is an annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness. Now, if you're a note taker, highlighter and underliner, then you want to underline that verse. Because what does it say about the commandment? For on the one hand, there is an annulling of the former commandment. What does the annulling mean? As if it never existed. There is a divorce by which there is a recognition that there was a marriage. And there is an annulment. And in an annulment, it's as if saying it never happened. We want this annulled like it never took place. We are so set free by the law. And follow this, folks, because this is amazing. We are so set free from the law that it is as if it never took place. We are not bound 
by the law, by one part of it. We pray that the Lord is speaking to you in a personal way here at Practical Christian Living. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, Calvary Tucson is open and holding physical services while being mindful of social distancing guidelines. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service online at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living Radio has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org, where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or have questions about salvation? Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson and Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living Sunday mornings at 8.30 on Kgun 9 TV. May we walk worthy while we wait for the return of our Savior. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.